Welcome to the Rap Race to Five podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place. Here to challenge you to think out of the box, your hosts, Felipe Mejia and Diego Corzo. Diego, what's up, man? We have an awesome guest today. Can't wait. Yeah, man. It is, he is full of energy. He has an amazing story, super humble, and again, super successful. So I, yeah, I, the audience is going to love it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I don't know if you've ever been like in a room where somebody, see, like one or two people seem to just carry the energy from the room and just bring in like positivity and like just grit and grind. And you're like, man, I just want to be around that person all the time because they just bring a level of energy that's like, that's not in everyone. I can honestly say that I don't even carry that kind of energy. So this podcast is one of those really high energy podcasts. A lot of nuggets are going to get dropped here. Uh, humble beginnings, starting in California and now doing a million dollar flip in Hawaii. You got to listen to this, but no more. Let's go ahead and bring him in. Alex Camacho. Alex, Diego, what's up guys? Super excited to have both of you right now. As everyone knows, Diego, uh, my co-host here at the Rat Race to Five podcast, super excited because today we're going to be interviewing Alex Camacho. Alex right now, I think is in Hawaii. So thank you so much, Alex, for jumping on, getting off the beach for just a little bit. Had to pull you by your teeth probably to get you in here. What's up, man? What's up, you guys? So happy to be on the show with, with you guys. I know you guys are helping a lot of investors, and I'm happy to share my story. If it can benefit anybody, I'd be so grateful for it. Absolutely, man. We love that. And we appreciate you. I know it's probably a really nice sunny day in Hawaii. So thanks for taking the time to jump on here. Uh, Alex, why don't we start from the beginning, though, dude? I always like starting with like the same question for everyone, which is who was Alex in high school? Who were you? What were you doing? Give us a little background on you. Awesome. So I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, pretty much the suburbs of Los Angeles. Um, and, and, and basically in high school, I was, uh, I would say I was a bit of a, you know, outsider, not as far as I didn't have my crew, but, um, you know, I, um, kind of got into the graffiti art kind of scene a little bit during that time and, and, um, kind of running with that kind of crowd and, and, um, you know, it was halfway between being a gang member and actually halfway between, uh, you know, just the graffiti art scene. Um, but I always worked hard. You know, my, my parents uh, were, you know, immigrants from Mexico and uh, they showed me that I had to work hard and I got a job pretty early, like in high school. And I remember, remember just always wanting to uh, strive to make some money for myself so I wouldn't have to lean on my parents uh, because they didn't have much. So I wanted, you know, kind of provide for myself and you know, the lifestyle I wanted to live pretty early on. And I, I know that's kind of carried on for many, many years after you know, high school. So, I mean, I guess that's like, the, it's a simple answer, but did you want me to kind of elaborate more about um, who I was in high school or go back more or start, where do you want me to go? No, 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 that's good. No, thank you. Uh, like I said, just love hearing the stories of, of what you were in high school and things of that nature. So I totally get it. I know that I was, I got into a bunch of trouble in high school, uh, kind of luckily a way better path now, but same boat, man. I got, I got into some trouble. If you guys go listen to my last podcast where Diego interviewed me, uh, it was, it, it was a crazy story. So I won't jump into that. But then Alex, all right, so what happened from there after high school? Did you go to college? Did you jump straight into real estate? You made a million dollars your first year. <laughs> what happened? Uh -huh. Well, I certainly wish uh, I did. But well, right out of high school, I got really fortunate because, um, like I said before, I, I started working um, you know, first in retail. And then I got into banking right out of high school as a bank teller. And I think that completely uh, kind of just changed the trajectory of my life because it wasn't like I was something I expected or that I wanted. But my older brother was working at the bank 
Uh, he was in a, a supervisor position, and then he was able to get me into another branch. I'll get an interview, and I became a bank teller. And I thought I was going to be a banker for life because it's a pretty good gig. You know, you get to see um, you have stability. You're learning some things. Um, I became a, a new accounts representative. I started doing a lot of home equity lines of credit and, and you know, checking savings and just understanding the financial system was something that was a complete blessing. Um, I definitely think I got lucky there, but I worked really hard and I moved my way up. And that's why I said I thought I was going to be a banker for life. But then at, during that time, uh, I got the opportunity to leave the bank and go into the mortgage business with my uh, my my brother was uh, you know working in another branch. My other brother, I have a twin brother, which is an interesting side note. And he got a, a position, and I feel like I'm a better salesperson than him, or at least at that time, I really I felt that. And I was like, so if he can make it, uh, I still remember he got like a direct deposit for like ninety one hundred dollars or something like that uh, from you know after about three four months there. And I was like, I wasn't making that much money at the bank. I'm like, well. I should probably go into the mortgage business. So transition went into the mortgage business and rolled that wave for about three, four years and made a lot of money um, right before the crash. And then, um, you know, we could talk about that because then I ended up losing everything. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely get, get into yeah. that. What, what happened? What happened with the crash and all that? Well, after banking, I got into the mortgage business and learned that. And then uh, that's when I started making six figures uh, for the first time in my life. Uh, annually. And then uh, I opened a mortgage company with my brother and, and another broker partner. And then we kind of uh, rolled that wave. And um, as some people may know, may not know, during the before the the you know great financial crisis of 2008 or around, you know, it was very easy to get mortgages. I had just come from banking. So um, I was helping a lot of people that I couldn't have. I went out to the bank because it was very difficult to walk into a major bank and get a loan. So I was doing a lot of the subprime lending. I created a company. And then for two, three years, we made literally hundreds of thousands of dollars a year each, my brother and I. And then we, you know, we, and whenever you're making money at a young age and don't really have any financial mentors or, you know, money management skills is very dangerous because you'll just blow it. And that's kind of what happened during that time. I mean, I was uh, responsible for some aspects, but I didn't buy, you know, multifamily buildings or aerial assets. I bought, you know, a couple houses. I had some businesses. I'm at the nightclubs, popping bottles every weekend. You know, it's Hollywood. You live, I live in, I was living in Southern California. So that's just kind of par for the course. And so anyways, just ended up just uh, having a really high overhead. And then when the market turned and crashed, it crashed really fast. And I wasn't able to adjust. We ended up, you know, uh, trying to keep everything afloat, but with a high overhead and um, not being able to make the same amount of money. And then uh, just kind of roll that wave down. And then I ended up just losing everything and going back and living back with my parents after like not having living with them for, you know, many, many years. And that was humbling. And then, um, and then I found real estate, um, and it, you know, the, the real estate itself was a better fit for me around that time because I became an agent. I started doing a bunch of short sales uh, during, you know, a little bit after that recession or during that recession. And that's when I got the investor bug because I saw I'm an agent, I'm making some money. I'm, you know, doing a lot of these short sales, but these investors are buying these houses and making $100,000 spreads, $100,000 profit deals. And so that's why I got that bug around 2013, 14 to potentially become a house flipper, become a full-time investor. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the, the, the path. And then a couple, you know, but a couple years passed, I didn't have access to like stuff like bigger pockets, or I just hadn't found it. Um, you know, I didn't really still have, I didn't know anybody investing in real estate, but I had that thought and that seed was planted during that time. And then I was kind of climbing my way back out of that hole I dug me, that I dug myself in. And then um, 2016, 17, I was doing the Airbnb arbitrage um, where I was leasing units in Hollywood with my brother. 
putting furniture. It was before the heavy regulation came into place. So we were making some cash flow on those properties. And um, it was a great um, experience because it was hospitality. I had had some experience with other stuff. Um, and then I just kept on thinking in the back of my mind, hey, I got this semi-passive semi income now because we had it on a good system. And then um, I thought this would be a good time for me to jump into full-time real estate. So I used that kind of as a launching pad. And then um, when to go work, and I came across bigger pockets around that time and YouTube and all that. And I went to go work for an investor full time as an inside sales agent when I started because I, I had kept hearing, you got to get a mentor, you got to work for somebody maybe, or you got to pay a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money to you know buy a course. So I went to go work for someone for about a year, um, learned the concepts, learned the negotiation, learned a lot of stuff. And then after that, um, he didn't really want to renegotiate our financial kind of compensation agreement. And I felt that I had grown and made him a lot of money. So I got recruited by a bigger company and that bigger company gave me a more formal role. And then I, and that's when I really turned on the afterburners and started to work, you know, more hours, started to make way more offers. And then I, I got them like 54 houses in like that year and a half. So in that two year and a half years of my, what I call my apprenticeship phase, I worked on over 65 completed deals, investment deals. Most of them were flips. And then I learned a lot. I saved some money. And then that's when I kind of went out, uh, on my own about two years ago now, a little more than two years ago now. I left that second company and started doing full-time investing for myself. And that's kind of where I'm at today now. Um, I mean, obviously I have a team now and then I, I'm, you know, doing deals in multiple states. We're doing close to 10 deals right now at once, but like, um, you know, that's kind of the story to get me where I'm at today. Yeah. That's no, Alex, good. that's, that is great. And there would, there's a lot to unpack there, which is, which is awesome. But one of the things that I heard there is that you've always seen opportunity no matter what, because you saw in the mortgage when 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 everything was going crazy, right, in L.A., in California or all, all over the, the U.S., you saw opportunity and then you went into something else when that opportunity ended, let's say, and you changed paths. You went from uh, you went from being in the mortgage industry to being a realtor. Then you were doing short sales. So that opportunity came up. Right. And then you're like, holy crap. Let me get into flipping. There's more opportunity there than Airbnb arbitrage and all that other stuff. So I think it's it's really cool to see that from that point where things may be going well, you see opportunity, then you face adversity, and then boom, you're able to switch and pivot. And I feel like that's a really good skill that you have. Uh, and I feel like right now you're, you're definitely seeing those opportunities where you can where you yes. can now yes. be on the flipping side. That has been a common theme. I'm glad you're highlighting it you know, for the listeners that I've always taken these calculated risks. And I've talked mm -hmm. about this before recently because I heard it on another podcast or this term called asymmetrical risk, where you're mm -hmm. making a decision in your life that has very you know, controllable downside to it, but a lot of upside potential, right? So I could have always gone back into banking if that didn't work out and I went to the mortgage business, right? I could have you know, um, stuck with the Airbnb arbitrage model, figured something else out, but I took that risk to go you know, become you know, full-time in investing, flipping. So I think as an entrepreneur, as a real estate investor, you need to be able to take these calculated risks that have a lot of upside potential um, because you know, that's gonna help, you know, transform your life because at the end of the day, these chances that we take, you know, these calculated bets can pay huge dividends. And I've seen it in my, in my business and my career. So thank you for highlighting that. Yeah. And uh, was there anything, so, because it sounds like even though you are in real estate, right, from the beginning to till now, was there a point where like you changed your identity? Because as an example, 
I'm a realtor, but I went from being a software developer to being a realtor to now being more real estate entrepreneur. Uh, was there a point that you've been changing your, your like in your mind, changing the identity that you have? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my desire when I learned of like investing and read a couple of books on it and then um, start to really start dive deep on it was like, that's what I think is going to be my vocation, like my career. Like this is something I could really dive into deep and do it long term. And it's not, I mean, sure, a lot of people know me as a house flipper, but I looked at it as more like I want to become a master real estate investor. So that that way, um, you know, that's going to help. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what you're saying is that you have to kind of own it. Right. And I often say to this, uh, this saying that make sure that you understand being an investor is a mindset, not a title, because that's it's a way you think constantly. It's about the investments you're making in your life, you're making with relationships and deals. All that is it's really more of a mindset of you becoming an investor. And yeah, it's part of your identity. 100%. I think that's I think that's very true, Alex. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And they're trying so hard to work in real estate, either flipping or they don't know how to start. And it kind of goes back to the saying, like, you have to first become the millionaire inside before you become the worldly millionaire, right? And it's the same thing with real estate. Like, you first have to become mentally that real estate investor and you have to be able to look at deals from, you know, different perspective, different exit strategies, kind of like you said, that calculated risk. Um, and you have to become that before you can become an outward successful real estate investor, uh, a lot of people are like, oh, I have to do this or I have to do that. And it's like, you you really do first have to read the books, know the knowledge, provide free value to somebody else that's an investor or that has the goals that you have. You have to become that person before you're going to start doing those things. Because I, I've, I've had people that are scared to do a $60,000 flip and you got people that are easily doing seven, $1 million flips. And it's just a mindset thing where it's like, don't, if you know the risk involved, and you've calculated the numbers and you know the potential of every deal, you know there's way more chance of upside than of downside. And it sounds like that's what you've done slowly throughout your career. Now you're just doing it at scale. One of the things that I was uh, telling Diego in our notes here, I was like, man, it sounds like Alex takes advantage of all situations. And when I say all situations, I don't just mean bad or just good. It sounds like even when the market was going down, you were figuring out a way to make money. Even when the market's up, you're figuring out a way, way to make money. And I'd like for you to tell the listeners a little bit more about that part of how you look at upside, even during the markets going downswing, right? What, yeah, how, how, do, how do you look at that? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, thinking like as an opportunist, you know, like basically there's opportunities out there. They're crossing your path every way you look and you have to observe and see what's working for other people too. It's not like I, I just wanted to do these things, but I think when you have this kind of awareness and you're paying attention to the, the what's being in front of you rather than, you know, a lot of times we have biases, right? We have these biases of what we want things to be, but rather than looking at things as what they really are. And to me, I try, I've tried to look at things as accurately as possible within myself, my life. You know, I think one of my strengths is I, I'm aware of my weaknesses. I'm aware of my limitations and I, I'm not trying to just do everything. I'm trying to do things, a couple of things great. And so, um, yeah, I say uh, that that's probably a dominant like mindset thing where, um, you know, I'm a half the cup is half full type of guy. I think it's important to have that positive outlook in life. But you have to take, you know, be proactive and take action as well to, to create the life that you want. It's not just simply, oh, you know, the law of attraction. If I think it, it's going to happen. No, yes, that's part of it. But the, the part that's missing is the action part. It's like, okay, well, you uh, I, every day you're becoming someone else or you're becoming someone you don't want. You're either becoming the person you want to become or you're, you're becoming someone you don't want to become. So make sure that you're conscious about that every single day, really. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, Alex, where, so you are living in Hawaii right now, and you mentioned that you have around 10 flips. Are those flips in Hawaii? Are those flips in LA? Where are they? So uh, the majority of my business is in Southern California, and, and the majority of that in Southern California is in LA County. So um, I grew up in LA. I know the area well. You know, the first 65 deals or so that I worked on, now I've worked on close to 100 deals, have, you know, were in LA. So that's my foundation. That's my baby. Um, the majority of my team is there. But I, I pursued, a, you know, to work a little bit closer under a mentor in this business. And also, I like the lifestyle. And it was in the middle of COVID. So there's a couple of reasons why I ended up moving to Hawaii. But yeah, I'm only doing about a deal a quarter here. I have a great team, a small, but you know, very powerful team that we have here, very united um, and you know, pursuing because it is a unique market and it is a, there is a learning curve. So I don't advocate people jumping into different markets and different strategies unless unless they first had a lot of success or really kind of you know know what they're doing on the first part you know the first market the first strategy that they're kind of working on so yeah um the majority of the deals i'm working on right now uh, i think it's nine but uh, one of them uh, two of them are rentals uh, one of them is a short-term rental the other one is a long-term rental that i'm buying and then the other seven are uh, a mixture of uh, full rehab flips and then some of them are more what we call in the business hotels we bought we bought them we bought good deals maybe we relocated tenants maybe it was pretty clean to begin with because we bought a problem off of a property owner and then we uh we just been doing minimal work and putting it back on the market so um we kind of it's a, those, that's kind of the combination of deals that i'm currently working on so alex um i want to dig into if you're comfortable with the, the deal that you have right now in hawaii which is the one that's pretty mind-blowing i'm super excited uh, to jump into that but right before we jump into that can you talk about how important your team is because a minute ago you said you are aware of your weaknesses and i think this is where a lot of people uh kind of maybe lack where they just focus so much on their strengths and they don't seem to realize what their weaknesses are how important is it to know about your weaknesses and then the team that you surround yourself with yeah absolutely so i think it's it's, it's critical that you know your weakness simply so you can neutralize them you can minimize them and then you can delegate them to people that is their strengths. But it's don't, I mean, it's for me, I, I, I think it was more important in my journey to first understand that I have strengths, that I have things that make me unique, make me different than everybody else. I think Diego does a fantastic job of calling that your unfair advantage. Um, I don't know where you got that term, but I love it. And then once you understand that, then you can start to build in and it doesn't have to be employees right away but just people to help mitigate that and the, the downside to that. Because with me, I, since I'm not super detailed oriented and it kind of burns me out at, at two now, I need to have people that are more detail oriented in my organization than myself. Um, and then also um, I have a lot of ideas, but then not all those ideas are wonderful or, or should, should, should we take action with them right now? And so um, I, I definitely need team members to help offset that or, or help me execute those ideas because I've failed in the past. And I know this for a fact now looking back, because I didn't have those people on my team that were complimenting me. Yeah, I had this great vision. Yeah, I maybe had some, you know, some great relationships, but I was lacking the, the daily focus and daily accountability and the other things that, that you really need to be successful at a high level over a long period of time. So um, I'd say that, but my team, um, I made mistakes with it, you guys. And I think I've talked about it around you guys, uh, you know, we met and we talked at your retreat was that I, I just didn't have a high standard at the beginning because uh, I was just that deal getter. I was just a deal hunter. And, and then I was now becoming a business owner. And I, and although you know that's a different hat you got to put on, it's not so easy to put on that hat. It doesn't fit so well if you haven't put, put it on very much. And so like I was hiring just anybody. And then, um, and I don't mean just anybody, but just people that were just average and maybe just had desire to be in the business, but they were lacking something like 
a real skill set, a strong skill set that complemented mine. Or they had a strong skill set, but then they had a different desire other than work for me. So there was just uh, things that were missing. And so in that equation, and then and until I started, you know, getting a little bit more mentorship and coaching, uh, I know uh, you got, you're um, definitely a fan, Felipe, and I'm sure you are too, Diego, of, of Ryan Pineda. So started kind of doing a little bit of coaching under him because he's doing a lot more than myself. And so started kind of figure out some, some of my blind spots. Right. And then um, then I figured out that was one of them that like I didn't have a, a solid onboarding and or recruiting hiring process. And in the next floor, I figured that part out and they started kind of hiring better people and, you know, still keeping my organization lean and mean. As I like to say, I don't like to have high overhead because I think it, it, it can be very dangerous to have high overhead in this business. Um, and then so that's that's it. I've developed a team of people that want to work with me, that have the proper skill sets, that have the proper expectations of through making mistakes and, and not having that done that in the past. So I think that's what's helping me do that because now I have people in those project management seats in the, you know, in the, the seat I was in before and then getting deals in LA. So now I can begin to work on becoming a better leader and the bigger picture more often. I still got to get in the trenches often, but just not as much as once before. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah. Man, I love that. I love the drive. Uh, I don't know who that company was that lost you, but man, I, I'm sure they're they're busting their head now for letting you go and not giving you that opportunity to growth. Um, so very interesting, Alex. Okay, so now you have a huge flip going on in Hawaii with this beautiful backyard view. Um, can you give us a story about that? I know a little bit about it. Uh, some of the tenants were a little hard, and like you really had to like invest a lot of money into it. And I'm sure. There's a lot of guts that had to go into going into this deal. Do you mind kind of digging into the dirt? Yeah, about yeah I, there's a ton of learning lessons on this. So I, I, I passionately share uh, as much as possible on deals because I think thank you for that's, that. where, that's where we learn the most, right? So so first things first, um, I took the advice of my, my other mentor, Brandon Turner, when I moved to Hawaii that, you know, make sure your LA bridge is, is built. You know, he, I remember him using these like, you know, hands like his, hey, don't build two bridges at once. So make sure the first one is built before you start working on the second one. And he was trying to tell me, like, make sure you're not going, you know, so deep into trying to create this market in Hawaii and deals there before, you know, you already got everything dialed in in L.A. because you've never remote flipped before, technically. So I did that. I, for the first three months of living here in Hawaii, I didn't pursue deals as difficult as it was because I'm physically here. I'm a deal junkie. <laughs> I, I'm seeing opportunities. I'm learning from investors. Um, no disrespect, but I wasn't intimidated by any investors. I was just, I just came from LA where it's like, you know, a dog fight. And I'm like, Hey dude, I, I think I could really clean up here. But I held on to that for three, four months, worked on the LA team. And then through uh, social media, one of these, uh, um, one of my followers that was in Maui kept bugging me about marketing and doing deals in Hawaii. But at that point I was starting to get ready to do that. So he kind of came into my life at the right time. I still remember he Clothed me by sending me a picture of him catching a fish in Hawaii. He does a spear fishing. And so I'm just like, oh man, that's cool. And I happened to have uh, investor girl Britt, uh, Brittany Arneson, and Matt Anofer on the island. And I wanted to show them around time. They're two huge investors and, and friends. And so we, we all went out and had that uh, kind of fun time and then got the bond. And I was like, all right, man, well, look, I'm going to LA for a couple of weeks. If you put in 500 addresses into my deal machine. You know, deal machine is that application where you can do driving for dollars and then put addresses in there. And so he did. And I left for two weeks and I kept looking at my phone and I'm just like seeing the alerts and the notifications, 86 houses uploaded, you know, 26 houses uploaded. I'm like, all right, so this guy's getting after it. So he ended up putting um, 700 addresses in. And as soon as I got back in that first quarter of uh, this year, 2021, we started sending postcards and cold calling. We got this um, tired landlord 
um, from Chicago on this property in a, in a beautiful part of South Maui that you're describing. And this is a higher end South Maui property, very desirable um, on a big lot, 3,300 square foot house. It was, it, it was actually three broken into three units. And that's very common in Hawaii where people have this house and they break it up into multiple units unpermitted, but it's par for the course because of how expensive it is in this market. So um, having had a lot of experience in LA negotiating with tenants and having similar kind of uh, tenant laws, I was confident on this deal. I ran the numbers. We uh, negotiated the deal. Um, we ended up getting an under contract for 1.35 million with the potential ARV of 175 to 19, somewhere in that range. And, and it was a house built in the early 90s. So it wasn't really that bad. It was just more, uh, you know, just not in great shape because the tenants, you know, been there for one of them had been there for 10 years, the other one for five years, the other one for two years. So um, one of the things that I do is whenever I walk a property that has tenants, I really try to talk to them because if I'm going to inherit them, I want to kind of get a read of them and see what where their mind is at, what kind of people they might be. So I have a better understanding of what I'm really buying because that's what you're buying. You're buying that risk of relocating the tenants. They might not cooperate. You know, there was a moratorium. So there's a lot of moving parts. But again, my experience with all those deals were, were helped me a lot with, you know, negotiating with the tenants. So check this out. I wanted to wholesale the deal primarily and get a $100,000 spread. Right, 1.35 sell at 1.45. It could be worth two million dollars in the future for that owner user, you know. But nobody wanted to kind of buy it with the tenants. But I still saw like opportunity there, and I had twenty thousand dollars on the line because I deposited twenty thousand to lock up the deal. But I didn't really want to put any more money into the deal, so I ended up talking to networking with other uh, investors I, that I had already known, and then somebody led me to this buyer that was interested in buying the property, maybe either owning it, and living himself, or flipping it. But he was flexible, and he was, uh, you know, he had. He had a couple million dollars. He had made some money with Facebook and, and being a Facebook employee, you know, in the past. And so he ended up flying out. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's serious. He's flying from, you know, the Midwest to look at this deal. And he did. We, we got along. It just seemed to align. Like, there was a lot of alignment in the deal. Like, he was uh, he knew I was going to run the show on the ground with the team. He was going to put up all the money. And in that, I negotiated seller finance with the seller because I know the seller had mentioned to my acquisitions director that he had some interest but my guy didn't talk about it much more. And then I negotiated 6%, which is better than, you know, what we were going to pay for hard money. He just wanted a larger down payment because he was paying off a $400,000, like hard money loan he took on the property. So we gave him 600,000 is what he wanted. But then he carried a note of 750 at 6% for two years. And I mean, I'm negotiating this with a savvy seller and his uh, attorney that's on island. And so it was a dog fight. I mean, I'm telling you, it was a really heavyweight battle. But like, again, all that experience helped me out in doing that. And we ended up you know, locking up the deal. And for two months, I negotiated with the tenant after we closed and got them out. I budgeted $35,000 and I got them out for 34, I probably say. Um, to most people, they're like, damn, it's an insane amount of money. But think about the purchase price, ARV, and all the numbers considered, right? And then so we got them out. We're in the middle of the rehab now. We're about 75% of the rehab and the comps are looking strong. We should be able to sell this thing 185 to 195 comfortably. And I think someone might even go up to like $2, $2 million. So we'll see. Could be a multiple six. It will be a multiple six-figure payday from what we can tell. Let's go. <laughs> Man, that is that is crazy. So it seems like nothing so far about this deal has been easy. And I think that's what separates the successful investors from those who like never start or quit because they're like, oh, real estate on social media is made to look easy. And, and like people are just like flipping deals and making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they don't see the day in to day out 
you know, grunt work and, and the sleepless nights is, is crap. Is this tenant going to get out? Or is this deal actually going to close? You know, the big checks on Instagram, people are like, Oh, don't show that. And it's like, man, this big check that I just got came with so many blood, sweat and tears. I'm like you said a minute ago, you're proud to have saved a thousand bucks from budgeting from that thing. And those are those wins that like, okay, one less sleepless night, right? I can, I can sleep at night. I know tomorrow's going to be another one, but tonight I get to sleep. Okay. And, and that's what a lot of people don't see. So I appreciate the realist. I, I appreciate the, the transparency um, in this deal. So, okay. So you're going to flip the property. Can you tell us what the budget looks like for the flip? What, uh, what the goal is going to be? When are you going to sell it? You have a six month, nine month, what are you looking at? And then uh, kind of what you plan to put it on the market for. I know you said around 2 million. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we bought it at the beginning of May. So right now it's, uh, we're recording this at the end of August. So we've had the project now for like three, a little bit over three months, three, almost four months. We're um, putting about a hundred thousand into it. I think it's going to pass, blow past that to like 120, 125,000. But again, at these numbers, that's not really a big deal. We want to really dial the, the top main unit in. Um, but our budget originally was 75. So we are going to be, you know, over budget, but also our ARV was originally like 17175. And now that's gone up, you know, 100, 100, maybe $200,000. So um, yeah, I wanted to put that it's been very difficult. Also, we had a fire contractor, um, I like to keep it real. So then the listeners know that yeah, it's been a lot of work. But it's, you know, it comes with a lot of upside, like we talked about earlier in the conversation. So you want to work on stuff like this, this thing had, uh, you know, some risk to it, but it also had a lot of upside potential. So um, yeah, that will it will end up um, hopefully being under one hundred twenty thousand on the rehab. Nice. Okay, that sounds amazing. And then, are you just going to list it like uh, for sale by owner? Are you going to list it on a realtor? What what are, what's the plan? What's the end goal with the property at this at this caliber? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so we've been negotiating with this type of thing. Typically, you don't want to put an agent uh, unless somebody off market. We have been approached by a couple off market people as well because it's a trophy property. And let me just tell you guys this. We've also considered keeping the property since we have a relatively low note. Like, I mean, we're all in 6500 or so on the with taxes and insurance monthly, and we could bring in about $10,000. But keep in mind, we had to use about $725,000 when it's all said and done. And so it's just like the numbers don't make that much sense. But if we can refinance, we, we could potentially keep it, but, but with the tenant laws and, um, you know, just a couple of things like that, there's, and it just, you're, that's a lot of capital. We're going to have to part, um, you know, and, and we can refinance it with the partner potentially, um, that I have on it, the equity partner, but, um, you know, yeah, it's, it, we're going to end up listing it likely in the next two, three weeks with an agent. We have three or four that we've been negotiating with, you know, at this, at these prices, you know, think about 1% on a $1.8 million. That's $18,000 what we're paying in commissions just on 1% of that. So we're yeah. trying to get that down to three and a half percent, 2% to the buying agent and one and a half percent to the listing agent, because, you know, uh, frankly, like this is a high end property. We're not trying to pay full five, 6% commission. And, you know, unless someone brings us a crazy good offer, um, you know, off market or something like that, it's just not going to happen. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. I think, uh, I think you're going to end up selling it for more than you think. I, I saw the views in the back. You get a good camera on there or a, or a drone to fly around. Jeez, man, that thing looks, that thing looks, that's a beauty. Sure, Guys, awesome. if, you're, if you're listening, go to Alex's Instagram and see some of the pictures that he's put up about this deal. I mean, this background just, it looks like something out of a computer screen. It's just ridiculous. It's, it's magical. It really is. And uh, every time I'm there, I'm like, oh, this dude, this is such a beautiful property. But yeah, again, I was the imagination. I saw the potential when I bought the property. I'm like, dude, it was the, the landscape. It was completely overgrown, covering up all the views. We spent $11,000 on landscaping alone. That tells you something. And and you said that this deal came out just by you giving the opportunity to somebody that may have reached out through email or through or through Instagram, right? 
and you yeah. basically you made him work you made him work for it and that's how right. the opportunity came up yeah exactly exactly because um that's what i found I, when people really really want it i make people uh, jump through hoops to work with me because again what i say earlier when i didn't do that i just brought in whoever and then it was hard to get rid of them when they weren't performing because you know i kind of built a bond with i built bonds with people like i'm working with people we're in the trenches together you know i think another thing i, I don't want to forget that you said felipe is that you have to have a you know a emotional intelligence in this business you have to have a certain amount of grit because you know it's an emotional roller coaster so it's going to go up and down up and down and people that just don't have that thick skin don't last in this business because yeah like you said man there was a lot of times i'm like dude i don't know if i'm gonna be able to get these tenants out you know it was, it's stressful but you know um again it's more of like having that strong mindset um and that you're gonna be able to figure it out um i think it's super important to continue to highlight in, in the conversation we're having yeah absolutely cool I'm, I'm, I'm loving this conversation guys i think the listeners are getting some value out of these deals yeah absolutely i i do have a question for you too here is you are doing this deal with a partner that I'm guessing you also met online, right? From well, I, from, I met him through I met him through another investor. I met him through another investor. Yeah, yeah, through another investor, and he's gonna become the money partner, and you are bringing the knowledge. Can you talk a little bit about how important it is to partner up with people like what we were talking about, the unfair advantage? Yeah, it's super critical that people also in this business when they're newer don't uh, overlook how powerful it is. To partner up with people i know you guys have partnered up on this business and it's worked out magically because you guys are you know a, a complementary skill set and you just have a, mutually goals aligned so i want to go back a little bit when i was leaving that second company one of the challenges i had you guys was i had not done any of those deals under my name so when i went to go get a hard money loan to flip my first house on my own after i saved enough money i had the experience they told me like, hey, we're not gonna be able to fund you because you don't have any experience. I'm like, what? I just helped these people get like 65 houses. Like, what are you talking about? And they're like, no, well, none of them were under your name. You were on title of the property and we don't have anything proven that other than just, you know, obviously you have the, the you know, the pictures and I could get a letter from the people that I work for, but that wasn't gonna suffice. So it forced me to consider, well, how else can I do this? And, and I heard, heard about the joint venture, right? Which is you do it, they call it JV. And where you bring a certain thing to the table, they bring something, and then you just partner up and you split the equity. And so I just looked for that. I started looking at my network, like who has money, who is somebody I maybe want to work with. And I came up with a, like a list of like, I don't know, five to seven people. And I kind of strategically visited them. And I just say, hey, I got this deal I want you to partner up on. It was more like, hey, I need to find this person to get to that next step of my you know real estate investing journey. And so I found somebody that I actually knew from back in the day in banking. He was a older Hispanic gentleman um kind of uh, remind me of like an uncle i never had always gave me great advice um owned some real estate was in the re uh, restaurant business very successful there always managed restaurants so i just you know kind of um took him out uh took his wife out him and his wife out to dinner and it just kind of told like hey you know this is he was watching social media a little bit he's more of a facebook guy so he was watching kind of what i was doing so it wasn't like it was completely out of the blue that's why it's so important for you guys to document the journey because if people see what you're working on it's not until you have this big check to show hey look i got this big check but what about all the offers you're making to get that deal what about all the you know times you're looking at property you need to show that too like it's important because then people are paying attention so anyways um he said i told him i'm gonna bring a deal that's gonna make us at least fifty thousand dollars and then i want to split it with you 50 50. are you good with that and he said yes 
I'll help manage the project management. I'll bring the money. I'll get the hard money in my loan. I'll put you on title. And then we'll have a 50-50 agreement. You bring the deal. And then you help run the show and help anything regarding selling the property on the back end. Let's go. And so I ended up getting, doing two, three deals with him until that kind of went our separate ways because I didn't really need him as much. But he helped me have my first six-figure month because I, um, we got two deals together that I made 40000 on each. And I still got paid on some of the other deals. The other company, I was still flipping. And so I ended up having like a, a little bit over $100,000 a month. And that kind of propelled me to that next step where I'm like, all right, now I have, I've been on title. Now I have more money. And then now I have the experience. And then I started kind of flipping on my own. Yep. I love that. Alex, I've flipped a couple of properties, nothing like a hundred like you, Jesus. I just, I flip one or two to fund three or four deals. And then I stop flipping until I need some quick cash again. Um, so I, I strategically use my strengths in that regard. But really quick, I'm curious um because i get this question all the time felipe how do you analyze a flip deal quickly right like how do you like so you don't have to go back to the drawing table for six for, for two or three weeks you know how do you do it on the spot or, or as quick as possible and and it's hard for me to answer that question because most of the time i'm just like guys i've just been in this for so long the prices kind of just make sense in my head it's like really hard for me to like put it on paper like if i actually showed you how i analyze my deals you wouldn't want me to mentor you because like i'm getting a a, a yellow notepad at the at the flip and i'm like okay got it okay that's okay i've done okay you know and i'm just like walking through the problem by the end of it i'm usually like close you know between five and ten thousand dollars off on a on a quarter million dollar on a quarter million dollar deal on a flip or something uh but i'm like man like i don't know for me personally i don't like take all the time in the world analyzing a deal i'm kind of more like okay this is about 80 percent right i'm gonna go ahead and take action on this what about you? Do you do you overanalyze or or are you quick decision? How do you how do you do it? No, I think that's a, another point, a highlight that we should um, talk about, which is this um, skill set of analyzing deals that you develop over. I mean, how many deals that how do you think you've analyzed in your life? I mean, I know it's thousands, Felipe. I mean, how many houses have you analyzed? It has to be. Oh my uh, gosh, uh, hundreds, hundreds of hundreds of houses all the time. Yes. And then I estimate because um, since I was full time, you know, and I was making uh, when at my prime when I was, you know, full time acquisitions and helping this company buy literally like a house a, a week. Um, I think I was analyzing. I think I would say like a hundred or so properties every single month, and then so that every year that's like a thousand. So I've estimated that like I've analyzed probably about four or five thousand, you know, houses um, deals in the last five years. That's like a thousand a year. Now you, the listeners don't have to do a thousand houses, you know, but you know, a hundred, 200 houses a year, that's totally doable. Right. And that should get you to that one, two deals a year at least. So, mm -hmm. um, but now, um, I do have, um, I'm happy to share with you guys uh, you know, tribe, um, and everybody in your community. I did that. I actually had a, a post on social media go viral on my flip calculator where, um, you know, people requested it. Cause I did a, I created a custom flip calculator where I have like the worst case scenario right next to a, it's on a spreadsheet right next to a, a base case scenario and then next to a best case scenario and it just helps you look at the numbers together but now like you said it's more of like a internal like my thing i just know okay the numbers i gotta be right here and i'm always within five ten thousand dollars where i need to be at when i actually run the numbers on the calculator but you develop that skill set over looking at hundreds and hundreds of deals and then but it helps you spot out opportunities quicker because you're like oh man these numbers look good Compared to oh, these are oh these are ugly like I'm gonna barely make any money and then if I do everything goes wrong I can lose a bunch of money and then you just keep on looking at it, looking at it and you get this sixth sense kind of like that I like to call it that spidey sense right you're just like oh, oh, oh this is deal because sometimes there's deals that um I say 
There's deals that you need only review for five seconds. There's deals that you need to review for five minutes. There's deals you need to review for five hours or work on it for five hours, right? Because it's such a hot deal. You got to spend the next three, four hours going to look, look at that property, making an offer, talking to the agent, because that's speed wins deals. But you can act faster when you know the numbers. And then you can know the numbers by reviewing hundreds of properties. But it's all doable. Like, that's why I don't have any sympathy for people that don't want to take the work put in the work and the action because then you're it's something that's doable but you're not doing it 100 percent agree with that i tell people all the time i'm like look uh, personally i think it's more important to get the fish on the hook and then start the negotiation than to like sit there and analyze for six months and then try to put in one offer and before you know it a month went by or two months went by and you didn't do anything i like to put out as many offers as i can out there on reasonable deals that i'm looking at and then making them into exceptional deals um, I'm, I'm looking for base hits that I can make into a full run, right? Rather than that one home run hit. I'm like, I, I can make this a home run hit. I know I can. I don't know the full answers yet, but I know I can take action on this now. I'll figure the rest out later. Uh, and then the negotiating starts once we're, once we got, you know, the property on the hook under contract. Uh, and I always look for two different exit strategies on any deal that I buy anyways. So I know worst case scenario, kind of like you, you were like, I'm going to wholesale this deal, but hell, this deal also makes sense as a flip. So you had two great exit strategies. Uh, honestly, I, if I were you, I'd just keep it living it. That house is just freaking gorgeous. But yeah. oh man, I, I I ran those numbers. They just like it. Just I don't know. I've tried. It. I've cut it up in so many ways. I'm like, I want to live at this property. Believe me, I do. But it hurts um, to give it away. Not that time yet. Uh, but let let me say one more thing about the whole making offers. Yes, at the beginning too, you overanalyze, and then you're too conservative, and you're not keeping it into account. Usually, that you can cancel that deal and just like you know back out of that escrow and you have usually an inspection period of like a certain amount of days that you can back out that deal and so i like to tell people hey when you're you know making offers be optimistic not recklessly but be optimistic when you're making offers especially if they're offers that have an out for you that you can back out and then when you get the most information you need right when you walk the property with your contractor and all that then you're going to be more realistic and then modify your number based on that. But if you're too conservative from the beginning, you're not even get considered. You're not even going to be in the running. And these yeah. deals are usually have some type of competition at play. So uh, yeah, be optimistic at uh, offer uh, at the beginning and then be realistic once you have all the information. A hundred percent. If you're not even in the race, there's no way that you're going to win. You can analyze all the other racers that are going to run that track. But if you don't at least get in the race, you're never going to have the opportunity to win. What did Michael Jordan say? You're going to miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Right. So you got to start taking your shot. Um, Alex, dude, that's what an incredible story you have. Um, I've met you in person. Thank you for coming out to the Gulf Shores for the rat race retreat. You're an awesome person, a man full of energy. You're like a walking Red Bull and you can't be around Alex and not just get motivated and like eager and just, dude, you bring such a, a, an energy to the rooms. And, and, uh, and I love seeing that, especially a Latino crushing it in the real estate game. Um, it's like, I can look up to you and say, wow, I, I like th th that's what I want to look like when I'm going to grow up. I want to continue that energy. I want to be able to continue to motivate people. You're an awesome person. Uh, I've seen you interact with people that have zero doors and people that have hundreds of thousands of doors. You're the same person. You're, 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 you're a good guy. Um, so super, thank you for jumping on here. Um, Diego, I know you're, you're still there as well, buddy. What, uh, any last words for Alex, uh, before yeah. we get, let him get back to Hawaii, right? <laughs> yeah. Where can people reach out to you? Well, you know, at first, I just want to say thank you guys for your time. Thank you for inviting me to Gulf Shores. I think we've all respected each other from afar and follow each other on social media. 
um, and just saw that, hey, we're, we're trying to do what we can to empower, um, you know, as many new investors, especially, you know, people that have less fortunate beginnings, kind of like ourselves, like the Latino community. So um, I know a lot of people don't, um, you know, know, but I do speak Spanish and I love how my mi gente siempre, like, son mi corazón. So any way I can help mi gente, I'm, I'm there for, for, for you guys. But um, yeah, if you guys want to reach out, the easiest platform usually is uh, Instagram um, under Alex Camacho TV. I also have a YouTube channel that have a lot, a lot of my recorded webinars there. That we, we're literally giving the game away for free. We have a weekly webinar um, every uh, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so people can go to my Instagram, go to my bio, and see everything I'm kind of up to. It's all kind of there. And then we also have a great fa a private Facebook group where people can you know go on there. That's also under Alex Camacho TV. And then they could just kind of, you know, we continue the conversation and helping each other you know, grow and, you know, giving people advice and all that. Um, and then we're just creating a community to make this business and this industry bigger and better than it is now. Um, and then so if you guys ever need anything, you know, reach out. But that's kind of where the easiest way to find me. Awesome, awesome Alex. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. And we'll be in touch. Yeah, right. absolutely. Alex, really quick. Last question on my end. Uh, when is the Alex Camacho TV book? book coming out man sounds like you got a book coming out i'd love to read oh man i appreciate that um i know tiago at the mastermind or at the retreat was asking me about that and um i'm working on it. i think that'll probably be a 2022 project but i'm definitely um still writing some chapters let's oh i like that okay that's awesome well alex man i wish you the best of luck bro um keep crushing it keep being a a, a pillar in the community uh you know keep being that light for other people because people are watching okay and uh, we appreciate what you're doing. We'll see you later. See you. The Rap Race to Five podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place.